welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. I'm just going to add a a greeting every time, like before I said, hello, hello. Mm. No, I said, welcome, welcome, welcome. So That's brilliant. I don't like tone, sir. Welcome back to Brainy Days for episode four. It is episode four. Episode That's four. Wild. Our topic today is on sleep and dreams. Mostly dreams, though, right? Uh, we'll sleep, too. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sleep, too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that clinking, though, was, was a beer that I brought because sleep and dreams are very complicated. Yeah, and so we have to drink our way through And uh, for real, I was like, I think I need a drink because it's, it's just a lot. Do you want to run us into the topic then? Yeah. I'll just ease us into this. So, the rabbit hole of sleep. Sleep in the brain. Mm. The sleepy brain, if you will. <laughs> I will. Sleep. It's weird. We do it for about a third of our lives. And we just knock it. I've always thought that was so weird that we just kind of let it happen. Like, we just every day, we, like, tuck ourselves away <laughs> and go in our little corner, our little comfy corner. Oh, I wish it was every day. And just, well, it should be every day. <laughs> <laughs> and then just knock out. Like, we just lay there and just, just like, lose consciousness and just let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then we wake up and we're like, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> like, I'm back. My consciousness is here again. I'm awake. Yeah. No, it is very strange. Sleep is very important. It's essential to not just human life, but a lot. A lot of most animals, actually, if not every single animal, probably. I don't really know that, though. There's got to be an animal that doesn't sleep, sleep, right? I don't know. All I know is that it is pretty much evolutionarily conserved across most species. And that leads us to believe that it's just majorly important for some reason. And we don't really know much about it. So there's all these crazy things about sleep and there's you know the different stages of sleep and the different types of sleep and when i started looking stuff up for this episode i uh i just didn't even know where to look at first we actually delayed recording this episode for a whole day because we were not well equipped no (laughs) we're not to talk and i I don't know if i am still but but yeah so it's not only good right for our physical well-being and our immune system and you know what's another physical thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh how awake we are in our day-to-day our wakefulness like, yeah it's like safety in the workplace hey speak up safety in the <laughs> workplace yeah okay safety in the workplace what yeah like if you're <laughs> operating like machinery or something if oh you don't okay sleep, that's not where my head that's, goes but that's yeah physical safety yeah yeah encouraging clarity in our day-to-day lives for sure and the longer we go without sleep the more foggy our behavior and a recollection of our behavior becomes. Yeah. And I guess also on the other side of physical is mental, mental health. Sleep is excellent for mental health. Sleep is the key. I think my two keys that I tell people all the time are sleep and water are like the keys to mental health. I think you figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) I always say sleep and water are so good for our mental health getting good sleep and we can talk about hydration more another day but getting good sleep i think is probably one of the best you know changes to make to your life if it's not already a priority that you really you really indulge in 
Yeah, but it it can be very hard. I know personally for me, uh, I've had insomnia for basically as long as I can remember. Um, and so I often stay up super late, sometimes working, sometimes doing nothing, but I, I just can't go to sleep, uh, which is what insomnia is. And like, I, I've tried all sorts of different things to try to help me sleep, uh, different medications, different home remedy stuff, like putting lavender on your pillow. I love lavender. Eucalyptus is another one. Ooh. Um, they work to varying degrees, but I, I honestly haven't found the silver bullet for me yet. But I know that when I am on a more regular sleep schedule, if I somehow can achieve that, then day to day my mental health is through the roof better. better. It's yeah. so much better. But it's, it's hard to achieve. Yeah, insomnia is probably one of the worst experiences somebody could ever experience. I've only had it a couple times, but wow. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I want everybody to get some sleep. But insomnia a lot of the times too is caused by, you know, other stressors in our life. I'm a stressed out boy. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of different things. There we're we're definitely going to have to talk about sleep another time too because there's just so much there's like all the you know there's insomnia there's narcolepsy there's rem like rem sleep disorders yeah you know which can cause like sleepwalking and all this stuff and those are just like some things you know mm-hmm. then there's dreams which we're going to talk a little bit about today too and that's just a whole realm of itself sleep paralysis sleep paralysis yeah, there's just uh, so much. I didn't even know even know where to go, honestly, when yeah. I was looking this stuff up. So, in general, I mentioned it before, there are the stages of sleep, right? There's like the, the first three stages of sleep. It's stage one, stage two, stage three. Those are all non-REM sleep. And then the fourth quote-unquote stage is REM sleep, right? Which is capital R-E-M. A lot of people have heard of this. It's rapid eye movement sleep. It doesn't just have rapid eye movement. It is also accompanied with a bunch of different crazy things that happen in, in the brain with brain waves and spikes of activity and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And REM sleep is basically the, I feel like it's like the pinnacle of, you know, that's where we're trying to get through every cycle. And we go through this stage one, two, three, four, multiple times throughout the night. And, uh, Sometimes if we don't get enough REM sleep, then there are issues in our wakefulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the specifics on like health and what's good. I don't know too much either, uh, so I won't go too much into it. But I just thought that that would be, you know, I think that's I think that's pretty common knowledge. A lot of people know about REM sleep, and a lot of people know about the stages of sleep. And they're basically the stages are different because they're separated by. I think it's mostly by brain activity, like stages of brain activity. And you can go into a whole a whole other conversation about that stuff. But I figured I'd throw it out there for anybody who wasn't aware of that. So we're just going to jump right to dreams because dreams are freaking weird, man. What is going on there? Nobody what knows. What is going on? Do you have an idea, Paul, of what you think dreams are? What do you think dreams are? Um, <laughs> what a question. I, I don't have a great idea, though. No. I know that there are... A bunch of different theories about what's going on. Yeah. Um, It's about all I know. (laughs) I can sort of briefly summarize a few of these. Uh, So one of the theories that is pretty prominent is known as activation input mode. 
Um, and so this theory uh, sort of describes that there's a relative level of activity in the brain um, going from low to high activation. And this sort of correlates uh, with non-REM versus REM sleep. Um, but also that this activation, this level of activation in the brain describes sort of the level of wakefulness or consciousness that that person is experiencing. And so lower activation uh, might be correlated with uh, less wakefulness, um, whereas higher activation might be correlated with more wakefulness, because that's typically what we see, more level, more activation in the brain when we're awake yeah. and also during REM sleep, whereas during the non-REM sleep, when we're like deep sleep, yeah, um, no wakefulness, there's lower levels of activation. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, I, I, I'm pretty sure that it's stage three of, I can actually check, I have a resource right here. I'm pretty sure it's stage three of non-REM sleep that is called deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure, let's see, let's see. It's a period of sleep that you need to feel refreshed in the morning. It says that uh, your heartbeat and breathing slow to their lowest levels and brain waves become even slower. So I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things that that theory, what is it, the activation input theory? Activation input mode. Activation input mode is kind of talking about the less activity we have in general in specific stages of sleep mm -hmm. can kind of contribute to our level of wakefulness and consciousness. And yeah. basically if you poke somebody in stage three sleep, they're not going to wake up. But if you do it in other stages, they might. So REM sleep is characterized by higher levels of activation, right? I believe so. Yeah. And I know it's been sort of a prominent idea in the, the, the sleep and dream field um, that most dreams occur during REM sleep. Yeah. Although there is recent evidence, which I can describe later or now. That uh, there's some non-REM dreaming. Just as prominent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's a paper a few years ago from Giulio Tononi's lab. Um, they were trying to characterize the neural correlates or deactivation um, that's going on in the brain. I wish you guys activity. saw the, the air quotes <laughs> Paul put around neural correlates. But yeah, go on. Um, of dreaming. And so... They they start by describing that it has been highly believed in the field that most dreams occur during REM sleep, um, but that recently it had also been shown that up to 70% of non-REM sleep awakenings, um, so like taking a participant, measuring their brain waves with an EEG or electroencephalogram, which just measures so sort of a coarse measure of neural activity, taking a participant and measuring that activity while they sleep, uh, you can wake them up as you see that they go to these different um, sleep stages. And when you wake them up, you can ask the participant to describe if they had just had a dream or just experienced a dream. Um, and so before it was found quite often that during the REM stage, uh, if you woke somebody up very often, they would report that They'd they had like, just experienced a dream. Um, and in 2001, there was a report that 70% uh, of participants reported having just experienced a dream during non-REM stages of sleep. Okay. And so... I'm not super surprised. But I know that the main thing that this paper was getting at is that the common lead belief that the the ability to dream is based on the levels of neural activation that are going on in the brain, which are then correlated mm -hmm. with these different um, uh, sleep stages. Uh, the idea was that higher levels of activation correlated with... REM sleep, which correlated with having more dreams. But then the, these findings sort of say, oh, well, maybe that's not the case. 
uh, it's more complicated than that. Like we can't sort of delineate it based on that. That's a that's what what's the title of the paper? The neural correlates of dreaming. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a recent paper, twenty seventeen. Cool. I think that's interesting. I'm gonna have to check that out. But that kind of stuff is so hard to like accept because it's so subjective, right? Everybody dreams differently, and you know, this is probably one of the things that kind of goes back to our very first conversation about cognition and like how you know we're we're asking these questions about dreaming when we don't really even know what dreaming is. we don't even know what sleep is how can we how can we ask <laughs> questions about dream, this complex thing that happens during this other complex thing that we know nothing about but at the same time it's so so interesting so deeply interesting because we all experience it and we're all aware of it only because we all experience it and not because we have any proof otherwise yeah yeah so crazy it is weird. Really, really weird. And then another thing is, in general, is lucid dreaming, which, uh, for those that may not be aware, lucid dreaming is dreaming, but, like, your control and presence within that dream basically feels is like it, real life. Yeah, it's extremely heightened. Mm-hmm. Right, the word lucid means to be clear-minded, basically, to, like, know what's going on. Yeah, and people who have lucid dreams often can report, like, controlling aspects of their environment yeah. in their dream. I always thought lucid dreaming was insane. I have had a couple experiences lucid dreaming. I haven't really been the, the one to try lucid dreaming, like, you know, drink water before bed so that I have to pee and wake up and write it down in my dream journal or, like, set an alarm yeah, or whatever. I haven't done that, but I have just, you know, been in a dream and been like, yeah, no, this this is not real. <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. None of this is real. <laughs> Yeah, and then I can kind of like morph it more from there. Oh, should I mention some of the other theories about why we yeah. dream? There, there is no like set in stone reason why we dream. It's not known, and so there's only theories right now. I have um, a theory. I wonder if it's on the list, but we'll wait until after. <laughs> no, say it now. One of my theories, and I maybe I've heard of it in the past, but one of my one of the theories that I'm I've definitely heard about in the past is that dreams can kind of you know a they kind of help us recognize some of our emotions and maybe let emotions come out while we're dreaming that we don't that we maybe inhibit during the day isn't that sort of like the the freudian sort of take on it a kind of yeah like well, the i'm repressed... surprised we haven't even mentioned freud yet. i have him here too to talk about <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah which i don't totally disagree with but i see you know i see where some flaws are in the theory however the other theory that i was thinking was like an evolutionary theory that dreams can kind of they can be like a practice run for real life events in different scenarios and having it be such wild scenarios and things that happen in the dreams it kind of prepares us for mundane scenarios that might might occur yes so that is one of the the theories that i have listed here awesome. in front of me it's called the dreams for survival theory dreams for survival yeah um, yes that's exactly it and the idea is that the dreams permit information i'm, I'm just reading a quote here permit information critical for daily survival to be reconsidered and reprocessed during yes. sleep according to this theory dreams represent concerns about daily lives and illustrate our uncertainty indecision ideas and desires yes so, yeah, it's almost like you're simulating events. Exactly, to it's try an to learn from internal it. simulation. It's um, a great way to think about it. I would be curious how one would test that, though. What test? Like, what? how do you test a theory like that? I mean, I don't think you can really test it as much as 
I mean, you can have a giant study where you collect all these people and have them dream forever and see if they're <laughs> dream forever. See if they're all really survival related. But the thing is, I think since we're such social creatures and stuff, we've developed into very different species where our concerns are maybe not exactly pertaining to survival, but for maybe how people perceive us in our environments or, you know, feeling pressure for work or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like these are all quote unquote survival characteristics, I think, of yeah. the modern human. But so that would make it hard to test. So I guess it would just depend on how you define survival. Would it be true survival or, or not? Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, maybe we should talk about some of our own dream experiences. Mm-hmm. That might be fun. But yeah, totally. I guess just to mention uh, the two other theories on this list, one of them is the reverse learning theory, uh, which I, I feel like a lot of people have maybe heard about. Um, it sort of says that uh, dreaming is a way of like flushing out unuseful information Mm. um and i think this also goes along with like memory consolidation which is a big part of what people think dreams are doing yeah but also memory consolidation you know there have been indirect there have been studies showing that sleep deprivation can cause you know our ability to recall new information or old information much harder so it's interesting because it's like we have some of that evidence but we don't really have, you know, the exact neural correlates of some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the last theory here on this list, I'll just go ahead and mention it. Um, this is sort of, when I read it, I thought it was like sort of the Occam's razor, sort of the, the most simple explanation <laughs> um, of things. Uh, it's called it's just the- like madness it's happening in the brain at night. <laughs> In a sense. So it's called the activation synthesis theory. Um, And basically it's that the brain produces random or spurious electrical activity across the neurons. Uh, But basically these random, uh, the random activation of neurons uh, sort of simulates like different aspects of consciousness or being awake. So it sort of lends to this idea that maybe just this increased activation there uh, is leading us to have these sort of sensory experiences while we're sleeping. And one other cool thing that that paper mentioned was that uh, in some cases they did see activation more frontal from parietal cortex. Mm. Um, and they were they mentioned that perhaps lucid dreaming is caused by activation reaching all the way to your like... Prefrontal front, region? Like, yeah, prefrontal region Definitely. where you can have like executive control Definitely. over some of those sensory experiences. Which yeah. is just a weird, cool, little interesting yeah, I could see that for sure. Idea there. That's a cool way to tie in kind of some stuff we talked about in the last episode about the yeah. prefrontal cortex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are pretty interesting theories. I mean, those are some pretty solid theories for mm-hmm. this weird thing that not only do we knock out and then just like experience blackness for the next <laughs> six to eight hours of our life but yeah. hopefully ideally but then we sometimes just dream i don't know it's just <laughs> so weird another thing i read the other day was something about like obviously i don't i don't know how you could really prove this is that uh you only actually you dream everything basically in like the second or two before you wake up that's what i've heard but i don't know i don't know how true that is because i mean I guess I guess what I'm about to say could agree with that now that I think about it. But I have had some terrible nightmares throughout the night, but they all do pretty much include me waking up at one point 
and then going back to sleep and waking up and going back to sleep. But yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe I wouldn't be surprised if our brain had the capability just, to do yeah. that. I don't think there's really, unless we can understand the activity in every neuron in the brain and yeah. what, it, what it means. Like we <laughs> There's yeah. really no way to, to decide. There's so much cool stuff too about the brain and dreaming. We can, we should definitely talk about some of our personal experiences dreaming because I think everybody likes a good dream story. Well, I don't, I don't know if I have good dream stories. Well, whatever. Dreams are cool. So there's this really cool part of the brain and it's called the subcerulius nucleus. Have you heard of this one before? Maybe. I've never heard of this one until Again, I I'm not it great with neuroanatomy. It's apparently involved in initiating REM sleep. Okay. And I thought it was so cool the way that it is involved in it, initiate, or at least part of the mechanistic flow of how REM sleep is is regulated. Mm. So it's called the subcerulis nucleus, which we can just call the sub-C nucleus, right? Or the sub-C. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's hypothesized that there are glutamatergic sub-C neurons. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter, which we will... Definitely get to in the future what neurotransmitters really are and what neuronal communication it really is, just the basics of it, because that would make this a lot more interesting in general. Anyway, so there are these excitatory neurons, right? So basically, it activates a part, another part of the brain, and it's in, they're involved in the muscle paralysis that occurs during REM sleep. So we, were, we mentioned before briefly sleep paralysis. Sometimes people wake up during sleep paralysis, and they're like, totally unable to move i've never experienced sleep paralysis i don't think but people who have seem to have vivid well, recollections I, I i've experienced it once one time ever and then there's people with sleep demons or something yeah yeah i don't know what that's about night terrors night terrors yeah they're pretty <laughs> scary i've had one interesting situation when i was sleeping but we can maybe talk about that in a little bit but anyway so these so these sub-C neurons, right, the subcerulean nucleus, these neurons in this nucleus of the brain, which lies in, I believe, the brainstem, the pontine region of the brain. Apparently, REM paralysis is initiated when these cells stimulate another part of the brain. I want people to remember the subcerulean nucleus, but this other part of the brain that it activates is called the ventral medial medulla. And that area of the brain, the ventral medial medulla, causes release of... GABA and glycine, which are both inhibitory neurotransmitters, generally, onto the skeletal motor neurons. Yeah, so kind of to go back and, and summarize that really quickly, there's this region in the brain called the subcerulean nucleus, right, the sub-C, and it activates another part of the brain, which is called the ventral media medulla, which is also in the brainstem. And then the ventral media medulla causes release of inhibitory neurotransmitters, meaning when it releases these neurotransmitters, the neurons that receive these neurotransmitters, in response, they slow down, they inhibit their activity, they don't activate and cause anything to happen. In fact, they're quieted down, it's more slowed down. And so they they release this inhibitory neurotransmitter onto our skeletal motor neurons, which means you can no longer move. Right think move like a motor because these motor neurons cause our ability to physically move our bones and our muscles in our body. When we have these neurons that are controlling those movements, when they're inhibited, then we can't move. Our skeleton is locked. 
which is scary. But I guess there is there are these pathways in which you can remain wakeful but still be affected by this sleep paralysis mechanism in your brain. Isn't that weird? That's a cool circuit. It was a super cool circuit. So that would be an example of systems neuroscience, right? Yeah, looking at the activity of these different regions and how they interact to execute a specific behavior or function. That's systems neuroscience. Right. Yeah, so that was really interesting. I thought all that was was really crazy. I rarely, and like maybe maybe this is something that can be trained. People train their recollection of dreams, but I rarely remember my dreams so unfortunate it's it's so weird i like it's not, it's not, i've like tried to before and i just can't do it but the ones i do remember are some of the most horrendous dreams i've ever had in my life <laughs> <laughs> which are yep. absolutely awful sounds about right my dream experiences aren't great <laughs> but anyways i know growing up i had a recurring dream i i was i was young i was maybe like eight i think maybe this was between like eight and 11 years old i had this dream so many times where I remember just like sitting in like an old school building, building, old, old school, school building. building. Yeah, I lived in the country back then too. Um, old school building, and I just remember it was it was one of those sort of stereotypical things where like we were sitting. It's like a, like a preschool or something, and all the kids are dressed in like little black uniforms. Were and you there's naked? like a, no, no, no. I've never had a dream like that. Apparently, it's a common one. Mm-hmm. But I've never had. A dream I've never like had that. one of those either. Yeah, and then these like demonic ghosts looked like like things are just like flying around the ceiling, um, and oh. just like attacking the kids. And oh, I just had that dream so many times, the exact same dream oh. growing up. Interesting. So I remember that one very clearly. Um, that sounds terrifying. It was terrifying, especially as an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, Creative imagination. Yeah. Um, I have dreams where sometimes like you wake up and like you jolt and like you remember like whatever you're dreaming you like just fell down and like you just yeah. hit the ground or something do you know the word for that no there's it's called a hypnagogic jerk a hypnagogic jerk yeah or hypnagogic, hypnagogic one of those jerk. i think hypnagogic jerk but there you go fun fact i have those quite often i don't know what i'm falling from i just basically the only thing i remember is falling and then I hit something and I wake up and I it feels like I just came out of the air. <laughs> Falling is also another very common dream. I was looking at lists of common nightmares. Mm. And so far, one of them is the naked one. <laughs> Being naked in gotcha. like a, a I don't, hilarious public I, place. I can't, I can't picture that. And then falling is another one. So anyway, just wanted to interject for that. Yeah. Yeah, falling is... Those dreams are tough. You wake up and you're like... <gasps> mm. <sighs> And then people say, or at least when I was a kid, people were like, and then if you hit the ground and you don't wake up, then you're dead in real life. (laughs) God. Kids are horrible. Should I talk about my most effed up dream of all time? Yeah, let's hear it. So this was like during some of like the, the harder times of like my mental health saga. And so it very well could be stress related or whatever. I just remember coming in late one day. I was alone in an apartment I had just moved in. And I just remember laying there and, like, like just falling asleep on the side of the bed. I went to sleep, and I guess I woke up maybe, like, an hour and a half later. But I had just woken up from a dream where I was running through another old building. <laughs> I don't know what it is with old buildings. Old buildings. <laughs> old buildings. Um, I was running through an old building, but this... 
another demonic creature <laughs> was chasing after me. And I, I, I remember it so vividly. It had like a really long slender body Ugh. and really long front arms. And like Slender it, it Man? Was like, no. Are talking it, Slender Man? No, it wasn't Slender Man. Okay. Because um, it was running on all fours. Oh. Um, but its back legs were like normal size and its front arms were long. And oh, I just got the chills. It was like super thin <laughs> and it was like a dark red color on its skin. Ooh. Its face was round and large and had a very large red mane around oh, it. Oh, God. And its eyes were pitch black <laughs> and it had sharp teeth. And it backed me into a corner and took its long, nasty arms and it had big hands with large claws on them. And it grabbed me by the neck. And it was choking me to death. <laughs> and I woke up from this dream gasping for air, covered in sweat. Like, I cannot describe the amount of sweat that I was laying in when I woke up. I, like, collected my breath, collected myself, and, like, walked over to the bathroom mirror. And my eyes were, like, so red and bloodshot. Like, I don't know if I was, like, choking in real life or, like, somehow suffocating like i don't have sleep apnea or anything like i don't have trouble breathing i don't snore i mean but it was so weird. you could have just yeah you know sometimes we get a little like spit that just dribbles down our throat and then we're like <laughs> <laughs> maybe yes. you did that in your sleep and then all of a sudden in that two seconds while you were choking before you woke up you had this intense terrifying complex dream maybe so if but that's you know yeah i i was on edge that sounds pretty, for like another day scary. or two after that yeah oh, oh yeah. that is pretty terrifying when i started taking antidepressants when i started taking lexapro specifically which by the way i'm a huge advocate for lexapro if you're sad all the time <laughs> and you're trying to get medicated i'm a huge advocate for lexapro other people have other other opinions about it but it works differently for everybody anyway i'm not sponsored by lexapro <laughs> I, I i want to personally stress just right there that it does work differently for everybody because i had awful experiences yeah. with lexapro paul was like don't do it and i was like i'm gonna try anyway <laughs> well i didn't say don't do it i no, was no. like be very cautious yeah which which though it was pretty terrible in the beginning mm -hmm. and that's what brings me to what i was just about to say was you know besides a million other side effects that i had to deal with in the beginning um one of them was just i just had these horrifying nightmares like, like so clear every single night to the point where i literally went to work i went to lab one morning and i pulled my staff scientist aside and i was like in shock and i was like i need to talk to you because all week i've been having these terrifying nightmares and i don't know what to do i'm not in a good mental state to even think about anything i would hear loud noises and think about a scene in in my dream which was they were horrifying i could actually tell stories and stories and stories but an example would be one of my good friends being blown up in front of me Jesus. and then just hearing all the flesh drop. A... Oh, no. And then there's this big tree and the flesh was getting caught in the tree. And I was hiding while this giant wolf creature was trying to chase me after there was this mass murder at this public event that I was just at. It was just this that kind of shit is wild, God. super wild every night with all these crazy things happening. Truly gave me, I felt a small form of like PTSD for a little while, mm. all jokes aside, because I was very shooketh. <laughs> shooketh. <laughs> shooketh. But yeah, who knows? I mean, that is definitely, that's a a very well-documented side effect of Lexapro and I think a lot of antidepressants in general, mm -hmm. or SSRIs at least. But 
which SSRI is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. There you go. A lot of people don't know what that means. SSRIs, yeah. like what selective serotonin reuptake inhibition is. And I've described it to a couple people and it's really opened their eyes up to how antidepressants work. So yeah. we should talk about that sometime. Maybe in the neurotransmitter yeah. episode. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. It's a little plug. Future yeah. episode. Future episode. Maybe Stay next tuned. week. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. You can do it next week? Okay. Cool. Neurotransmitters next week. Neurotransmission. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to that, that's a very well documented side effect. But it makes me kind of think about Freud's, you know, his whole theory on dreams. And basically his theory is just that we have these repressed feelings and thoughts and our dreams are a window at which we can look into these, the subconscious of the human mind, which I think is probably valid to some extent. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Do you want to talk about a good dream experience? I wish I could provide something, but I honestly don't remember. So I have a, one positive go-to dream experience that I always describe, and it's the best dream that I've ever had still to this day. And I remember feeling this really intense kind of peace and serenity within the dream. And, and it was a dream in which I died. Oh. And it was the only dream that I've ever died in. Whoa. And people say if you die in dreams, you die in real life. Yeah, well, coming back from the grave, baby. <laughs> because I definitely died in this dream. And it was it was the whole point of the dream was it was my experience dying. And so what happened was I'm dreaming. I come to consciousness, quote unquote consciousness in the dream. And I'm on a dark road. The only thing I can see on either side of me are the silhouettes of the tops of like pine trees lit up by the moonlight lit up by moon lit up by moon (laughs) the moonlight twinkled and dripped down the tops of the pine trees i woke up and the only thing i could see besides the trees and the moon were on the ground i could see two very like dark faded lines like yellow lines in the middle of a road and so i just like look up and i'm very confused and so then i i don't hear anything but then i start to see when i'm looking down at the road this light kind of just like slowly get brighter it's like just very very slow and then I, you know, my common sense kicks in and I turn around like a freaking deer in the headlights, literally. I was probably living the life of a deer in the headlights hmm. in this dream, astrally projecting. <laughs> and through the stars. Through the stars, <laughs> up to the starlight <laughs> dripping back down onto the pine trees. And so I turn around and there's this big truck coming toward me. And I'm in the middle of the road and he doesn't see me and, or she, who knows. And. I just shut my eyes and I just wait for it to happen. And I just feel this huge, like huge wind over my body. And I don't feel anything. And then I open my eyes and I look behind me and the car just, just kept going. And I, for a split second was like, I just survived. And then all of a sudden I started getting like pulled up by my shoulders, like very, in a very airy floaty way. It was very weightless. I was just getting pulled up vertically just toward the sky very slowly. And I looked down and I just see my, my body just on the ground in the road. It kind of looked peaceful. And then it took me a minute and I was accepting that fact like I just died. And uh, I just remember this is like one of the first times I kind of started thinking about death and like my, my feelings about death when I woke up and started thinking about this dream. But anyway, so I get lifted, and then as I get lifted, I'm really high in the sky, and I can see the city lights and everything, and the sky turns into this, like, gray, green, weird tone, and then I start to look, and I see all these other little bodies, like, far away, like, getting oh, lifted, man. and they're at different levels in the sky. Some of them are high, some of them are low, so you can see some of them pull, coming up from the cityscape, mm-hmm. and I realize those are all of these other people dying in real time, and we were all just leaving our bodies and going up to wherever. I'm not a huge believer. I'm not a huge religious person, but 
in this dream, it was very clear that we were, this was us going to heaven. Because after this point, we kind of like all kind of congregated, floated toward each other. And then we just whooshed through the sky, kind of flying through the clouds. There's just clouds. And then we were just flying upwards. And I just remember feeling so free and so serene and very, very peaceful. And then right as I was flying through the clouds and there's just all this wind in my face, it just got really cold and really, really bright white. And then I woke up. That's weird. It was super, super it's weird. Cool, but it was a great dream. I just felt so calm. And ever since then, I've been like, how weird. My calmest dream has been one in which I die. It's made me feel a little bit better about death, I think, at some level. That's good. Yeah. I think our emotional states definitely regulate how some of us dream. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to your dreams, guys. I think they can kind of like... What are you laughing at? <laughs> I was <laughs> waiting to hear what you are going to say. Dream big, guys. Dream big. Worst case scenario, it's just an interesting window into our brain that we can just watch. Yeah. You know, and listen to and maybe maybe learn from. Like I said, that that dream, the concept of that dream mm-hmm. helped me move forward with how I think about death and moving on and that kind of stuff. Maybe at the time of my life something happened that ended, I don't remember, but and they say the amygdala is also very active during sleep. Yeah. Which is one of our emotional centers of the brain. Mhm. And so I think that if we have more activated or less activated emotional parts of the brain, such as the amygdala, it might affect the way we, we dream, like having more or less anxious, like anxiety dreams, you know, I've had the dreams where I'm presenting something and then I lose, I can't find the flash drive and everybody's sitting down and I'm like, where's the flash drive? I've never had a dream like that. Yeah. That one, that one was right before my, my prelim, Ooh. right before my qualifying exam to become a PhD candidate. I was like so ready in the dream. I was like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm all ready. I did this. I prepared. I'm good. And then I'm like, hey, where's the flash drive? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, wait, but where is it? <laughs> and it just became this huge thing. And I was like sweating. And I was like, I swear I did it. I need to go sleep myself. You, you're trying to go nap? You're trying to go get some sleep? No, I need coffee. <laughs> yeah, this is the first, to do. the first episode that Paul has not had coffee with him right next to him the whole time. So if I sound dazed and I can confused, tell. that's my excuse. I can totally tell you're like, yeah, I'm crashing. Tone it down. Anyway, everybody, that was our episode on sleep and dreams. We kind of were all over the place because it's such a dense topic because there's really no correct path to talk about sleep. But look into it. There's some really interesting stuff. There's definitely some really cool science you can learn about your brain and how that might affect your sleeping patterns or there's tips you can look up on how to have better sleep. And it sounds corny, but it's so, it so really useful. It's a huge thing. Yeah, it's huge to, to have good sleep and water. But today's episode is about sleep. <laughs> the two things that are required for survival, yeah. sleep and water. Who would have thunk Who that they thought? make you feel better? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> All right, Paul. That was a successful day in making everybody's rainy days a little bit brainier today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get ready for that, that hurricane. It's not a hurricane. It's a tropical storm. Oh, yeah. It's about to get rainy, though. It's not a hurricane. It's a tropical storm. Yeah, it's going to get rainy. Stay dry. Thanks again for listening, tuning in. Uh, And next week, we will be talking about neurotransmitters. Neurotransmission. Okay, I'm glad we figured that out. Tune back in for a little little info on how the brain communicates with itself. Mm -hmm. Because it's pretty pretty insane that's wild it's it's pretty crazy so thank you again guys and we will talk to you next week peace